Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And this is Sky is Black, future-facing conversations with experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs of African descent. Spanning the entire African diaspora from top to bottom, east to west, north to south, all of it. Worldwide, baby. Worldwide. Shout out to Kwanzaa Brewer. Kwanzaa Brewer is the president of the National Association of Black Storytellers. You can find out more about her and the organization at nabsinc.org. Shout out to Dr. Maria Rosario Jackson, who was just confirmed by the U.S. Senate as the chair of the National Endowment of the Arts. She's the first African-American and Mexican-American to lead the organization. Shout out to Rakeb and Masai at Addis Fine Art, the first white cube gallery space for modern and contemporary art in Ethiopia. They also have a new space in London, and you can learn more at www.addisfineart.com. Shout out to Valerie Daniels Carter for becoming a minority owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm a Lakers fan, so it's hard for me to say this, but go Bucks. And shout out to Jermaine Barnes. Jermaine is the director of the Community Housing Identity Lab at the University of Miami School of Architecture and the winner of the 2021 Harvard Wheelwright Prize. And you can learn more about him and Studio Barnes at germainebarnes.com. That's G-E-R-M-A-N-E barnes.com. We've already given a shout out to LeVar Burton for being the Grand Marshal of the upcoming Rose Parade, the Tournament of Roses for 2022. But another shout out to him for now being confirmed as the host of the Scripps National Spelling Bee. Shout out to you, LeVar, again. And shout out to you, Sister Avant-Garde, who won the contest That's right. last year. That's right. Who is absolutely amazing. And I said this one time, and I'll say it again because it's true. She is the greatest female basketball player ever. And a great speller. Amazing. And shout out to you, fellow Wakandans, for joining us in the Pure Vibranium Village. Yes, we're, we're, we're here on the Tech Deck out under... Our beautiful oak tree. We are basking in the glow, the infrared glow of our heat lamp. That's right. It's a little cool here on the tech deck, but That's it's a right. beautiful day, as always, Southern California. Beautiful day, and a part of me feels bad because it's such a beautiful day, because I know other folks around the world are frigid and cold and suffering in various ways, and so it's hard for me to fully enjoy the beauty and the warmth of the tech deck. Solidarity, baby. Yeah, solidarity. That's right. Solidarity. We're with you. Yes. So we have some listener feedback. Last week I mentioned Christian Benimana saying that he's a member of MASS, which is Model of Architecture Serving Society, which is all true. But I was reprimanded because I should have mentioned that Christian Benimana is also the founder of the African Design Center, Mm. and he's also done a TED Talk. Needless to say, I was aware of this, but I did not mentioned it. So good news is that we'll put links to both of these things in the show notes. That's so right. shout out again to you, brother, Christian Benimana. And I also got another reprimand. Two? You got two reprimands? And not, not just two. I will mention two today, but I've <laughs> received more than two. Last episode, I used the wrong terminology during our conversation about the Robert E. Lee statue. And so in talking about what I would do with the melted materials, I said that I would do something that referenced and honored the actual number of quote-unquote slaves 
that Robert E. Lee owned. And so you may ask, well, you know, what, what the hell is wrong with that statement? Well, what's wrong with it is that it's inaccurate. Robert E. Lee was not a slave owner. He was an enslaver. And the people that I was talking about were not slaves. They were enslaved. enslaved right. um, and so what I'm shocked about and embarrassed about is that I know this better than anyone and remind people about this all of the time. And so that just shows you how deep white supremacy is embedded in our language and in our thinking. And so I say, get behind me, white supremacy. What's the phrase? Not today, colonizer? Or tomorrow. Or tomorrow. Or ever. And, you know, that terminology is always so deeply embedded. You know, one of the things that I'm still working my way through in, in, in my world, in the, te- in the technology world, mm-hmm. is is the whole master-slave terminology, master-slave as a metaphor. As a computer science student, we learned it. It's like, okay, well, you had your, your master hard drive or your master computer, and then you had slave unit one, slave unit two. And as a student, I was kind of like, wait, what, whoa. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's just a te- technological term, a metaphor. And, and kind of blew by it. And, you know, it comes up, you know, there's a thing, you know, I think the LA, LA County had someone make a complaint about it, you know, back uh, earlier in the, in the 21st century. And, but that dates back from like the very beginning of technology, this whole concept of, you know, you've got your master device and your slave device. And it's been baked in. And only recently, only, I would say, maybe in the last like five years, and certainly last year, last year, there's a, a an open source repository, a place where a lot of uh, coders uh, share resources and, and information called GitHub, mm-hmm. actually made a statement saying we are going to excise that term, excise the term master and slave, um, in particular the word master because it implies slave, from the terminology. And, you know, you mentioned your, your slip up earlier. It's one of those things that's so hard to do. And because... In, for technology, you can swap these things out. You can you can have it be the the primary machine and, and the, the secondary and the lackey, <laughs> the primary and the lackey. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in, in Hollywood, you'd have the producer and then the intern. So you'd have the producer unit and then the intern unit. But but the whole idea, you know, the, some people have been suggesting you know, leader versus follower, primary secondary, um, you know, primary versus replica. Uh, those sorts of things. And I'm, going, I'm going with primary, secondary. Me too. And and yet, you know, and yeah. there's this concept of of mastery where you understand something. You know, in 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 artwork, you have like the the master edition of something, the master copy, uh, and so a master of fine art, a master of whatever, whatever. Right. So master of vibranium, and so. You know how do you how do you excise that out? And it's one of those things that you know in, in my world we're still working it out. I, I actually have several solutions that I've developed where I use the term master all the time. You know what's the master record? And I'm working on that. I mean for for new work that I'm doing for new things that I'm designing, I start I've changed my vocabulary and use the word primary. It's certainly true in the music business as well. Talking about the musical masters, yeah, the digital masters. Same thing in other art domains as well, the, the master copy of it. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, don't beat yourself up too much because it's, it's hard. It's deeply, deeply, deeply embedded. And we all, all of us, need to think about that. And, you know, when I was a student, 
once again, as a computer science student, I was too young to really even have that level of sort of pushback. And there was too much sort of institutional inertia. That was not the case in Berkeley. <laughs> that, that, that was the, the birthplace of pushback. Actually, the very first time I heard it was in high school, when you and I were both in high school together. And, you know, slave drive A. And I was like, what? And kind of gave the teacher kind of a look, and he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Just means that this drive doesn't have, you know, a controller card in it and is, is run by the main computer. Stored in the slave shacks? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Is that what you're saying? And and so I was told, like, no, 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 no. It just means that this this just has the machinery of it. Essentially, this is the thing that does all the work, and this other thing controls it, mm-hmm. which on one hand makes it kind of an appropriate metaphor, this thing controlling it, this other thing doing all the work. But still, I didn't have the, what's the right term? I didn't have the agency to push back or didn't feel like I had the agency. I had the agency, but didn't feel like I had it. Just need a little bit more vibranium in the, in the diet. I, you know what I need to have? I, need, I didn't take my supplement today. Mm-hmm. I need to take my vibranium supplement. Vitamin V, baby. That will shut it down. Seriously. <laughs> seriously. And, that, and, and shout out to GitHub for mm-hmm. being one of the major institutions or one of the major resources for technology to say, you know what, we're going to take a stand and just and, and kill it. So how are you doing? I'm good. You know, it's, you know, much like in Wakanda, you know, you can you have that, that infinity snap and suddenly everything changes. I feel like it was just 20 minutes ago that it was Thanksgiving and my kids' birthdays, which bookend Thanksgiving, and there was a snap of the fingers and boom, it's boom. Christmas and Kwanzaa and New Year's coming up. And we'll talk more about Kwanzaa a little later, but it's like... And so I've been spending, I'm finally getting ready. I'm finally getting myself ready and and getting myself prepared for all these things. Prepared. What a concept. As best I can. I mean, it's one of those things to where... What a concept. You know, winter is coming. Today being actually the solstice. So winter is here. And, And so, ready or not, you know, it's here. So, ready or not, here it comes. We can't hide. It's going to find uh, us and make, make us, us stressed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and make us happy. happy. Ready or not, here we are. Kwanzaa time. And gonna Christmas and New Year's too. Black History Month coming around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> But so I'm getting ready. And so it's one of those things to where, you know, it's funny. We've got um, winter break. So the kids are, are, are home from school. And and so they're able to like it, it forces, you know, one of the interesting things about this whole pandemic is that, you know, it sort of forced people to sort of commingle their work and, and personal lives. And well, we're called mingling. And so now with them being home from kindergarten, my son being home from kindergarten, you know, it's forced me to flip it to where even though I am still working this week. Uh, I also have been like, okay, well, personal things can pop into the front because because he's home and and why not? And we can and we're we're home anyway. But uh, but I think it's 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 good. Amen. So, Bernard, have you done your homework? Have you listened now to both versions of Joy of the World? I mean, of course, you've heard the Whitney Houston version. I mean, you absolutely. Know. But did uh, you re- listen to my other version? I recommended to you. I did, and I liked it. 
Is it great? It was a very nice rendition of the song, I must say. I must say. Now, if I was forced to choose one. I'm not going to do that. If I was forced to choose one, I would still go with the Whitney Houston version, but I love them both. You know, I would agree. I, I mean, I, you can't. You can't tell Whitney nothing. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't go up against her for anything. And yet, I think they are both excellent versions, they and are. it's they worthy are. of the mix. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, as a forward-facing podcast, I have to occasionally, though, go, go back. And I'm going to go way back. Are you ready? Take me there. I'm going to take you back to 1992. You weren't even born in 1992, so I don't know what you're talking about. At least according to my Hollywood CV, you know, where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm perpetually young. Yeah, mm-hmm. 1992. I was, yeah, a twinkle in my, my parents' eye. That's right. But 1992, Quincy Jones did a soulful version. Handel's Messiah, yes. That's right. And, you know, I always, whenever we're like, when I'm digging out my Christmas decorations out of the garage and getting all that stuff out, what do I have in my AirPods? Is I have that. And... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Exactly. Hallelujah. 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 It's a fantastic album. So go 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 dig it up. You'll probably have to go like get it on like eBay or something. But Handles Messiah by Quincy Jones and it's definitely a throwback. But it's an awesome version. I love that version of the song. Yeah, it's fantastic. When we were in, in high school, I was in chorus, and of course we learned the original version. But now, knowing the Quincy Jones version, that is the one that is attached to my soul. So the piano playing in that song is really nice. There's a nice little bass line over one of the sections in that song that's really nice, too. I would sing it if I can remember it, but alas. It's nice to hear the singers sort of shift from immediately from like a choral operatic mode Mm -hmm. like one beat later to a soulful r&b mode and back and kind of going back and forth and that to me is like so awesome the section where they talk about king of kings and lord of lords i love how they play the king of kings and lord of lords that's that transition that you're talking about because mm-hmm. they do go from the choral right into the jazzy. Yes, Quincy Jones taking care of business at all times. Yeah, I actually, a long time ago, way, way, way back, I did some work uh, for Quest and, and had a chance mm-hmm. to, his production company, and had a chance to meet him a few times. And Me too. He's, he's a great, what, great brother. What a cool dude. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that version that's still, actually, I think that's actually how I got that CD was it was comped to me. Nice. But, because um, that's how far back it was. Nice. But, um, but yeah, what a, what a what a great thing to have um, in your in your playlist during this festive season. Shout out to you, Quincy. Yes, much love, brother. But today we're going to be talking about Kwanzaa, mm-hmm. and in fact, we're going to be staging a battle between Christmas and Kwanzaa. It's going to be Kwanzaa versus Christmas in a steel cage grudge match, <laughs> and I can tell you right now who is going to win that contest. No. No, dear listener, that's not what we're going to do. But We're not doing Kwanzaa versus Christmas? No. Aren't they in opposition to one another? No. Are you sure? Positive. People say that you can't do Christmas and Kwanzaa no, no, together. No, 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 no. One has nothing to do with the other? They are completely distinct. Things. Interesting. So the answer Interesting. 
So the answer for Christmas versus Kwanzaa is yes. The answer for Hanukkah versus Kwanzaa is yes. You can do them both. You can do them all. And that's part of what we'll talk about. Yes, because it's not versus as in opposition to one another. It's versus in terms of comparing without the steel cage crusher. <laughs> Listen, I'm not... Is anyone going to really try to take on Santa Claus? I mean, really? If you can do all that, if you can go all around the world, like instantly and deliver gifts instantly, and you can go down chimney, and no. I mean, if it's you know Christmas versus Kwanzaa, St. Nick versus someone, my only answer to that is, say what again? <laughs> say what again? Listen, listen, even Samuel L. Jackson would be scared of Santa. He's not going to mess around. And first of all, because he wants, he wants something good on Christmas Day, so he's not going to mess around. Mm-hmm. But I did hear a song the other day that went something like this. Of all the holidays in the world, oh, Kwanzaa wears the crown. I haven't heard that song. Of all the holidays in the world, oh, Kwanzaa wears the crown. Of course, that's a little play on the holly and the ivy. Yes. The holly and the ivy, when they're both full grown. So in this version which, of course, is the soundtrack for the season. For linking all black people together true unbound of all the holidays in the world. Oh, Kwanzaa wears the crown. Even the birds are singing with you. That's right. <clears throat> for linking all black people together true unbound of all the holidays in the world. Oh, Kwanzaa wears the crown. Cool. I have not heard that song. Well, the reason why you haven't heard it is because I wrote it 15 seconds before arriving on the tech deck. Oh, well, so this is the world premiere. This is the world premiere and probably its final performance. That's fantastic. Of all the holidays in the world, oh, Kwanzaa wears the crown. That's actually not bad. It is okay. It is okay. Um, Oh, almost forgot. Speaking of music... This is huge. Do you know that Sting has a new album? What? Do you know that Sting has a new album out? I'm, I'm so behind on Sting. We, a few episodes ago, you told me about some album that I had not that's, heard. That's what and I'm now saying. he's dropped a new album. He has dropped a new album. came out a couple weeks ago. I was not aware of it. I was downloading some music for one of our other podcasts. And so Apple Music opens up. And of course, with the artificial intelligence built into the music app, it says, For You. And it was the new Sting album. I was like, What? How is it possible that Sting has a new album out and I'm not aware of it? That is crazy. I know I wasn't aware of it because I just, I'm, I'm so far behind. So I listened to it and actually enjoyed it. So I'm happy that we have some new Sting music in the world right now. Right on. <laughs> I'm not sure you're selling the album right now. Once you listen to the album, this will make sense. <laughs> See, I can't even do it without laughing. <laughs> Reminds me of Kelsey Wilson from Polly, because if we were singing this song together and trying to whistle that, we would be cracking up for hours upon hours. <laughs> but it's a good album. It reminds me of the Mercury Falling album. So if you like that particular album, I'm certain that you will love this one too. I'm way behind. But anyway, shout out to you, Sting. Branford makes an appearance on the album as well, which is always nice. Branford Marcellus. 
I had a chance to meet him too. Um, when he and his brother were playing at Dartmouth and it was one of those things to where, because I was working backstage, I had a chance to kind of fist bump the two of them. That was, they, they were awesome. I did meet Branford also when he, um, was performing at Catalina years and years and years and years and years ago, which was quite nice. And shout out to my sister, Nedra, who has transitioned. Lord have mercy. Shout out to you, Nedra. Love you. Can't wait to see you. So as always, there are some interesting events coming up. One that I am particularly interested in and excited about is a masterclass. Um, It is called Black History, Freedom, and Love. And let me just read to you what it says. From critical race theory to the 1619 Project, black intellectuals are reshaping conversations on race in America. Now, seven of these preeminent voices share their insights on the reckoning with race in America in three parts, the past, present, and future. And the people who are going to be included in this masterclass are Angela Davis, Cornell West, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Sherilyn Eiffel, Jelani Cobb, and John McWhorter. So that sounds like a very interesting series right there. Yeah, it seems it seems amazing. And, you know, it's interesting that they broke it up into three parts. You know, the, the portion that explored the past is, you know, available right now. The part that focuses on the present with regards to insight on the life of blacks here in America, that's coming out in January. And then the portion focused on the future, which I'm going to find really amazing uh, to, to check out, is mm-hmm. coming out in February. So it's one of those things where it's it's a paid masterclass, and I think it'll definitely be worthwhile. You'll, we'll have a link in the show notes and, and check it out. Very interesting. And also want to take a, a second to acknowledge the passing of Sister Bell Hooks. That's right. So we wanted to mention this last week, but we didn't do so. I want to say to you, Sister, thank you. May you rest in power. Yes. As I see Cornell West as one of the instructors of this master class, it reminds me of actually the first work that I read from Bell Hooks, which was a book that she did with Cornell West, mm-hmm. Black Intellectualism, otherwise known as Black Vibranianism. But anyway, as all of us around the world know, she was amazing and fantastic, and we honor you today, sister. Bell hooks. That's right. Also, too, Angela Davis, just FYI, has an autobiography that is coming out shortly. We'll put that in the Sky's Black bookstore, so be sure to purchase it there. I also want to give a shout out to the Africa Center, which has another great event. Another up. great event. Can't stop them, can't even contain them. AfricaCenter.org. So they are doing something in conjunction with the Museum of Food and Drink. So on February 2nd, they have an exhibit called African Slash American Making the Nation's Table. The exhibit will look at the often overlooked history of black farmers, chefs, food and drink producers who have laid the foundation for American food culture. So it reminds me of the Netflix series High in the Hog, very much in that same school. Which is awesome. And of course, there's the Pan-African Food Festival podcast, which is also worthy of checking out. Binge that too. Yes, indeed. Um, other cool events coming out of MIT. Shout out to John Harvey. On January 6th, they have a... A virtual event. Artificial Intelligence for Enhancing Empathy, Diversity, and Inclusion. 
This is interesting to me. Here's what they say. Using artificial intelligence and biosignal processing, scientists are gaining insight into empathy and emotions. MIT Media Lab postdoctoral associate Camilo Rojas will discuss how his team has developed Project Us, an AI tool that runs in the background of video calls and analyzes the speaker's emotional dynamics based on multiple biosignals, tone of voice, facial expressions, semantics, and then it gives personalized, confidential, practical feedback, chiefly on how one's behavior made the other person feel. And this supposedly helps people increase their self-awareness, empathy, and inclusiveness. So this is potentially AI for good. Maybe. Maybe. And speaking of good, because, yeah, right on, good for you, MIT, and the Media Lab, they do amazing things, but I'll admit, go Caltech. And Caltech is having an event on February 9th, speaking of which, talking about artificial intelligence, the good, which this might be, mm-hmm. the bad and the ugly. It's one of the, part of the Watson Lecture Series, and its description reads like this. Artificial intelligence is a remarkable technology that's profoundly impacted our lives. It now beats humans at some of their own games. How did we get here? In this lecture, Professor Abu Mustafa will describe the scientific journey of AI since the 1980s, as well as Caltech's foundational role in its development. Go Caltech! Providing examples of AI's achievements and its potential. He will also address the hype that surrounds AI, both positive and negative, and puts it in scientific perspective. Once again, this is part of the Watson Lecture Series, a virtual event. Check it out, caltech.edu slash Watson to register. Kudos to Caltech and shout out to Valinda Richardson. What's up, sister? How you doing? Can't wait to talk to you and see you soon. That's right. As I mentioned, Caltech, there is a report that came out recently from the Journal of Blacks in Higher Education, giving some kudos to Caltech as well. Nice. They have just welcomed their largest incoming class of African-Americans. So in 2021, they had 33 black or African-American first-year students, which, believe it or not, was the largest number of first-year black students ever at Caltech. And for the record, Caltech is a small school, so 33 may not sound like a lot, and by the numbers it actually isn't. However, part of the reason why I'm like, go Caltech, is that they, relative to MIT, which is far larger, they... Pound for pound, they punch above their weight class. Yes, they do. They have only just shy of 1,000 students uh, undergrad. So we're talking, you know, 250 per class. And so 33 is a pretty big percentage of that. 13.2%. 13.2%. Go Caltech. Punching at our weight class for that one. Right on. Go Caltech. One quick thing that I came across is the Hula Jeb. Israeli-Ethiopian Arts Festival, which I'd never heard of, but is actually taking place December 22nd to 29th. Right on. As you know, there is a Ethiopian community in Israel, and this mm-hmm. is an annual festival. We'll provide a link in the show notes so you can see and hear some of the artists who are participating in this year's festival. So very interesting. Another thing that we need to mention is the Black Girls Code campaign. Right on. Hashtag Black Girl Dad. Yes, indeed. So they have launched a campaign to raise some money. It's their 10th anniversary. 10th anniversary. Hard to believe. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible and wonderful. They're a worthy cause. They're a 501c3 charitable organization. So it's tax deductible as you come to your end of the year charitable giving. Yes, indeed. So Black Girls Code. 
We believe in this. We support this. ALO, A-L-O, is an international writer's initiative aiming to discover up-and-coming writers and their unique story ideas that pay homage to Africa's culture, diversity, heritage, and people. Writers are invited to submit their materials and apply for a chance to be selected as a finalist to enter into a series development deal with Ebony Life and Sony Pictures Television. This is a great program that will actually... Successful candidates, people who apply and, and are accepted into the program, get a $7,500 uh, grant, essentially, and are able to enter into those development deals with Sony and with Ebony Life. And this then allows those projects to then be pitched to broadcasters and potentially be even made into television series. I, th- I think it's a fantastic opportunity, and definitely go check it out. The issue is whether you and I are qualified to enter this program because it's specifically for Africans, not people of African descent. I would make the case that I am fully eligible to participate in this program, even though I wasn't born on the continent. I maintain that I am no less African than anybody was. Because you already have a screenplay ready to go. I, I have several, but the point that I'm making about this is like, you know, who necessarily qualifies as an African writer? Does an African-American writer qualify as an African writer? I maintain that the answer is yes. I've had this conversation many times. Are you African or are you just an American? How African is the African-American? And I always say that I did not abandon my African identity. Don't call me anything less than African because I never gave that up. They tried to strip it from me, but that is not something that I willingly gave up my identity as an African person. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I also, when people talk about Americans here in America, I'm like, Oh, well, you know, this is really for real Americans. I will push back on them and say, that's right. I'm about as real an American as it gets. That's right. Because, Save for our native American brothers and sisters. We're as real as it gets. Right. And when, when people who, claim to be, quote, real Americans, look at me funny when I say that. I look at them very directly in the eye and I say, because I am a product of America, my people were manufactured in America, made in America. So I say yes to both. Yes to African and yes to American. Actually, I more than anything dispute the hyphen, but that's my thing. Well, my mother actually says that we are the hyphen. She prefers to self-identify as black as opposed to African-American. But then she also says that if we were anything, we are the hyphen, not necessarily African or American. I disagree with her. To me, I think the hyphen is the bridge and that we are, in fact, both of those things, African and American, is how I self-identify. Not more African than American, nor more American than African. Truly African-American. Yes. Many brothers and sisters from the continent will disagree with me on that. Um, Says the initiative is only open to entrants who are legal citizens or first-generation children of legal citizens of one or more of the 54 countries of the African continent and who are 18 years old, um, you can reside in the United States, Canada, or the European Union, or um, you know Australia or New Zealand, but you have to be uh, able to put your application in English. And, and so I think there you have it. I'm not going to read the whole... Uh, 
set of eligibility guidelines because it's like five paragraphs long. And for the record, I'm not against those guidelines at all because I think there needs to be a focus on that particular slice of our worldwide community. I have no issue with that. The only point that I'm making is as we're trying to focus on, quote unquote, African voices, I argue that African-American voices lie underneath that umbrella. Say what again? (laughs) We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Kwanzaa versus Christmas. No, we're not. We're going to talk about Kwanzaa and what it means for us and what it means for the rest of the Pan-African community. Sky is black. Oh, and one quick last shout out. You know, if you are doing your last minute um, holiday shopping, whether it be for Christmas or Kwanzaa or whatever, check out uh, on Twitter at Real Top Tech Geek. This kid, he just got his first set of AirPods, um, but he's got some great product reviews. And so if you need some last minute gifts, go check him out uh, on Twitter. Once again, uh, Top Tech Geek at Real Top Tech Geek uh, there on Twitter. And sky is black. It is about Ujama. Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And we have a big announcement to make. Big. Starting on January 1st, 2022, we are launching the Year Year of of Ujama. Ujama. Now, most of you probably recognize that word Ujama from the Pan-African Heritage Holiday Kwanzaa, which means in Swahili... Cooperative economics, which we will talk about in detail. Yeah. But I have a question about personal economics first. And that is what percentage of your discretionary and disposable income actually supports black businesses? You mean outside of coffee? Outside of coffee. Real talk. I would say it's probably not as much as I would like to think it is. If I were to reflect on my own finances, which is always a terrifying thing to do. (laughs) But when I reflect on my own finances, I would say that it's probably less than 5%. Yeah, I would say probably less than 5% for me too, which I'm embarrassed to say. I'm ashamed to say. Talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Imagine what we would accomplish if we just moved from 2% of our dollars to 5% of our dollars, 10% of our dollars. Hey, 50% of our dollars. Think about that, what that would do. What would happen if we all took whatever that percentage is in your, in your household? What if that suddenly went to 20%? Yes. What if we all did that? Not because we're anti-anybody. No. But in terms of simply supporting businesses that support us and that represent us. Accepting the challenge. So, yeah, the year of Ujama. 365 days of Ujama. And we want you guys to come along. So we're asking you, dear listener, to join us as we embark upon this this journey. And we're not doing this as sort of like a cold turkey, you know, one-off sort of stunt. Walking but, the walk. But really, yeah, walking that walk in a sustainable, durable way. We're looking to actually change our lives. And along the way, especially if we do it collectively, change the lives of black businesses throughout the diaspora and so check out our journey some of it's going to be amazing some of it will might not be quite so amazing but challenge accepted 365 days of pure vibranium ujama, ujama. boom walk that talk welcome back to sky is black today we are talking about kwanzaa mm-hmm. 
Say what again? <laughs> how it relates to Christmas and how it relates to other holidays being celebrated in this season. Some information for those of you who don't know. It was developed in 1966 That's right. in California by Dr. Milana Karenga, who is now head of the US organization. And we're going to talk about the various principles and the practices of Kwanzaa in just a second. But every year, he gives what's called a founder's message. And I don't yet have the message for this year, but a little excerpt from his founder's message from last year. This is what he said. Kwanzaa is a special season and celebration of our sacred and expansive selves as African people. It is a unique pan-African time of remembrance, reflection, reaffirmation, and recommitment. It is a special and unique time to remember and honor our ancestors, to reflect on what it means to be African and human in the most expansive and meaningful sense, and to reaffirm the sacred beauty and goodness of ourselves and the rightfulness of our relentless struggle to be ourselves and free ourselves and contribute to an ever-expanding realm of freedom, justice, and caring in the world. And Kwanzaa is a special and unique time in Pan-African space to recommit ourselves to our highest values that teach us to live our lives, do our work, and wage our struggles in dignity-affirming, life-enhancing, and world-preserving ways as we continue forward on the upward paths of our honored ancestors. And as he mentioned in there, you know, even though Kwanzaa started off, you know, in America, in California specifically, it has grown to be a Pan-African holiday. This is a Pan-African podcast, which is one of the reasons why you hear us mentioning folks all over the world, because we have a global perspective, worldwide, baby, worldwide. worldwide. And so some resources that you may want to consider, the Museum of the African Diaspora, which is in San Francisco. It is a contemporary art museum that celebrates black cultures, ignites challenging conversations, and inspires learning through the global lens of the African diaspora. And you can find them at moadsf.org. There's also the Center for Pan-African Thought, which is in the UK. Their vision is to see a united African diaspora as part of a unified, free, and prosperous continent. Their mission is to produce the leaders and ideas that drive the transformation of Africa and Africans. And they can be found at panafricanthought.com. And the last one that I want to mention too, which is another great space, the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation, which was established at the University of Johannesburg in South Africa. And it provides a forum for scholars, practitioners, and civil society actors across Africa and the diaspora to dialogue and contribute to the rigorous production and dissemination of Pan-African knowledge and culture. Again, great space. Urge you to check them out. You can find them at ipatc.joburg, J-O-B-U-R-G. Again, ipatc.joburg. And we'll have links to all of these things in the show notes. You know, I have to admit that this year will be only our second year celebrating Kwanzaa. It's not like a, 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 something that's been like a, a long, steep tradition. You know, growing up, we didn't grow up with Kwanzaa at all. Nor did I. And, and quite frankly, 
you know, we had a, we had a vibranium less holiday season. <laughs> and, and quite frankly, you know, when I had heard about it, you know, I have um, an, an aunt, a dear aunt, who actually just recently passed away today. Actually, uh, mm. the solstice it would be her birthday. And can, can we say her name for a sec? Gretel Greenhouse. Gretel G-G- Greenhouse. GG Gretel Greenhouse. Amen. And um, and may she rest in power. Amen. And you know. My cousins on that side of the family, I mean, they did Kwanzaa, right? And so it was like one of those things to where I remember my Aunt Gigi would occasionally look at me like, well, why aren't you celebrating Kwanzaa? And I'm kind of like, Kawada what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, no, Ko- I, Koji Jackal who? Exactly. I had no idea. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we do Christmas and whatever. Who knows what that is? And and so we just never, we never, never did it. And even as an adult, you know... You know, never, it was, it was never even really on the radar. And part of it is that, you know, I, I, in our family, I mean, Christmas was such an amazing time of year. And much like... With, with a thousand birthdays sprinkled in there. Well, exactly. So, there, I mean, so I have a birthday. My, my younger brother has a birthday. You know, we had birthdays in there and New Year's. And so it was already a busy, busy time. And, and so it kind of seemed to me because I didn't know anything about it. So I was speaking from a position of ignorance. I mean... I often do. Complete ignorance. I often do. And and it was one of those things where it, it almost felt like, you know, okay, one, jamming another thing in there, and two, almost like counter-programming against Christmas and counter-programming against my birthday and other family birthdays and New Year's and such. And so I was... I guess if I was being kind to myself, I would say that I was... Always be kind to yourself. I was sort of, you know, Kwanzaa indifferent or a bit of a Kwanzaa skeptic. Kwanzaa agnostic? Kwanzaa... Maybe agnostic. I was like, if you guys were doing that over there and Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that that thing, that's that's okay. Good for you. And, but was never really, it was never really a thing. And then my son at his fancy hippie preschool back back in 2019... That's right. They had a whole thing where they were talking about Kwanzaa and by happenstance, they didn't really do winter breaks. They actually, they both celebrated all holidays and no holidays. So there was never like, you know, Christmas break or things like that. They had, I think like Christmas Eve, they were closed or something. But, but, and so they were talking about Kwanzaa quite a bit. And so my son, you know, at four years old was coming back and talking about Kwanzaa and all these things. Go ahead, Avery. And we're, 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 I was kind of like, what? And, and, and how do you say it? Are you saying it right? And Mm -hmm. he's, you know, pronouncing it, all these things perfectly. And my wife and I, of course, because we're, we're bookish people, we immediately start getting books about this. And we picked up two books in particular. You went to the bookstore and said, show me where the Kuji Chagulaga section is. <laughs> I don't even know what section it was. We ordered it online. And um, so we, we picked up two books. Uh, one is uh, The Story of Kwanzaa by Donna Washington and illustrated by uh, Stephen Taylor. And then we picked up a second book called Together for Kwanzaa mm-hmm. by Jawanda Ford and illustrated by Shelley um, Hemberger. And those two books, I mean... Anytime we get a book of any topic in our house, it's all repeat Wednesday for like two weeks while we read it over and over and over again, mm-hmm. because he just wants to, you know, like all children, you know, he's a sponge for these things. And so here it is like, you know, January, February, sometime in, 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 in the, in the, after Kwanzaa had passed. And, and we still can't wait for the next Kuji Chagulia. <laughs>
And so it was one of those things to where we were reading this book over and over again. And part of me, once again, still kind of a Quantic skeptic, I happen to be reading these things during Black History Month, and I'm thinking, well, why isn't Kwanzaa in Black History Month? You know, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be better somehow? And so reading this book, or reading these two books several times, sort of like planted this idea because suddenly I knew a little something, not much, but just a little bit, and it planted this seed in in, in both for me and for my wife of like, hey, maybe we should do that. You know, maybe 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 one year, one day, um, and so. You know, so this was like, you know, um, January, February of 2020 when this is all, uh, when we're reading these books. And so then, of course, pandemic ha- happens and everything's locked down and, and what have you in 2020. And so roll forward to, you know, holiday season, wintertime um, in 2020. And we're all quarantined and locked down. And even though my son was sort of like quasi back at, at preschool with a, a heavy mask mandate, we were all kind of like, okay, you know, what are we going to do? You know, because we're not going to do, we're not going to go back to visit our family in Louisiana. You know, we're kind of home for, for, for this period of, of the year. And so what do we want to do? And Could my son, who, and my son <laughs> who has a fantastic memory was like, let's do Kwanzaa. And we're like, uh, sure. Why not? You know, why not? Go ahead, Avery. And so I went from being kind of a Kwanzaa skeptic to kind of Kwanzaa curious. And of course, I had to like go into Etsy and like scramble at the last minute, like, you know, who will ship me, you know, uh, a Kinara and all these other, all the other, uh, things, you know, last minute. And so I ordered these things to be delivered and had them all delivered. And so last year, we, you know, this sounds very cliche, but but we did Kwanzaa. We celebrated Kwanzaa. And it was one of those things to where I came away from it thinking that, quite frankly, we missed out. We missed out, you know, when we were growing up, when you and I were growing up, Bernard. Mm-hmm. Because it isn't In the as, mid-90s. <laughs> you know, because it, it isn't really, you know, this this anti-Christmas thing. You know, whoever, I mean, there are the haters out there, and, and I can't say I wasn't completely not one of them, but, the, you know, it's people who paint this as sort of the anti-Christmas. Um, so wrong. Actually kind of have it wrong, um, and because that's not really what it's about. I mean, the Kwanzaa is, you know, it derives from the Swahili phrase, meaning first fruits, and it's based on some of the fruit um, the first fruit festivals that exist in Southern Africa and were, and part of the reason the timing of it is that those first fruits festivals were often timed around the winter solstice. And just like, you know, Hanukkah and, and Christmas and all these things, they all kind of come around this idea of a, a rededication. Hanukkah, for those of you who don't know, uh, focuses a lot on the rededication of the, of the, of the temple in Jerusalem. And so the whole idea of, this, of rededication and renewal and rebirth mm-hmm. um, is something that happens in lots of cultures right around the solstice. And so... And then reading these books, you know, learned about the seven principles of Kwanzaa and the Nguzo Saba do a mashup between Swahili and Amharic, say the Nguzo Sebat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. You have this, um, this candelabra, the Kinyara, which has seven candles in it. It's a seven day long celebration. And you have three candles, red candles, which represent the, the struggle and the, or the blood uh, that was shed uh, by, uh, by blacks here in America. Particularly, and all over the world. And all over the world. Um, 
And then there's a central black candle, which represents all black people, so Pan-African. That's right. And then you have three green candles, which represent hope and looking ahead towards the future. Mm. And so on each day of Kwanzaa, you, you focus on different principles. And so the first principle is this principle, um, Umoja, which is unity. And I'm going to read from the, the description. To strive for and to maintain unity in the family, community, nation, and race. Amen. On day two, and I'm always working on pronouncing this, is, uh, is Kujichagalia. That's right. Listen, I did it. <coughs> I, I practice. I work on this. Um, my wife laughs at me because I always have a little shimmy when I say it. Kujichagalia. My sister-in-law always jokes, too. She's somewhat Kwanzaa agnostic as well, but sort of makes a loving and respectful joke. It's like, is it Kujichagalia yet? Yeah, um, seriously. I mean, it's a great word. Brief side note. I want to give a shout out to uh, Peter H. Reynolds, uh, who's the author of the book, The Word Collector. Because whenever I hear Kujichagalia, I always think about that book where he's describing Jerome, uh, the, 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 the kid in the book, you know, who collects words that, that, that have like these delightful sounds to them. And so, you know, I always kind of smile when I say Kujichagalia and my wife laughs at me because tickles I Tickles the soul. It does tickle the soul. And I always, um, do a little shimmy whenever I say it, which probably is disrespectful, but, I'm, it has, that's how I remember it. I think the sequel to that book is The Name Butcherer. I think that's the sequel. <laughs> no, no, no. The Word Collector by Peter H. Reynolds. I think that's the sequel. So Kujichagalia is to define and name ourselves and to speak for ourselves. The concept, broadly Amen. speaking, is self-determination. And then there's Ujima, which is collective work and responsibility to mm. build and maintain our community together and to make our brothers' and sisters' problems our problems and solve them together. All in it together. On day four, it's Ujama Cooperative Economics, which is to ma- build and maintain our own stores, shops, and other businesses, and to profit from them together. Be black, buy black. That's right. Day five, Nia, purpose, to make our collective vocation the building and developing of our community in order to restore our people to their traditional greatness. Sup, Nia? <laughs> day six, Kumba, creativity, to... Do always as much as we can in the way we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than we inherited it. That's right. Day seven, the final day. Amani, faith. To believe with all our hearts in our people, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and victory of our struggle. Amen. And so these seven principles, when we started reading about them, we're like, this is great. This is great stuff. And it isn't even just great stuff for us in the black community. So, dear listener, if you are not part of the black community, I mean, if you're going through your 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 meditative, wonderful, you know, fancy, you know, year-end reflective thing, look at those principles. Unity, self-determination, responsibility, cooperation, purpose, creativity, faith. You take those principles and you bake those into your 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 initiatives, your goals for the upcoming year, you're going to have a great year. Philosophically, Many people will disagree with that. Many practitioners will say that Kwanzaa has absolutely zero to do with those who are not Africans. Well, I, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you should do some sort of cultural appropriation and, and dress yourselves up in, in the costume of like a daishiki or something. But I'm simply saying that, you know, when for those who are like, oh, it's the anti-Christmas or whatever, but the principles that are embedded in this celebration are, are worthwhile and are, are, are tremendously powerful unto themselves. And what we did in our family last year, this is our first year celebrating Kwanzaa, 
we didn't know how to do it and we didn't know half how to pronounce half the things or at least i didn't and my son did he was much better at this than i was kujichakulia kujichakulia i have to do the shimming but what we did each night we would light the candles we would have our normal dinner we'd do our thing but then um, at the beginning of dinner, we would light one of the candles. We'd read out the definition of each one of the pr- principles. And then our topic over dinner was how that plays out in our lives. And not only how it played out in our lives that year, which was a weird year, 2020 pandemic, but also how we wanted it to play out in our lives um, for the year moving forward. And Avery was just old enough. He was four years old. Well, actually, just turned five. Sorry. He was five years old. And... And had his own way of talking and had his own way of expressing himself. Ahead, and so Andrew. being able to just have him think about like, you know, well, how are you going to be united with the family? What are you, what are you going to do to be together with all of us? And, you know, what are you going to do to, to speak for yourselves? And so being able to have that interaction with him just as a topic of conversation was, was really fantastic. And, and so that's what I mean by the principles are, are very much worthwhile in and of themselves. And a child shall lead us yes exactly the principles are arguably universal but again many will say that one cannot fully participate in kwanzaa unless you're a person of african descent you know i'll have to continue to disagree i mean and part of it is that one of the amazing parts of kwanzaa one of the fun things about kwanzaa is that on so kwanzaa just to back up for one second Mm -hmm. it starts on uh, the day after Christmas. So it starts on December 26th. It's perfect timing. To so me. it's, you know, for, for those of our Canadian friends up there, it's Boxing Day is when it starts. Uh, and then it wraps up on the 1st. And so on day 6, the evening of day 6, there's a celebration, a Karamu. And that celebration is one where you bring all your family together and you, you exchange gifts, generally handmade gifts, expressing, you know, day six is kumba, creativity. So it's a chance for uh, a creative expression, a creative giving of gifts. And a kaumbaya, one might say. <laughs> See, it's so easy. It's so easy <laughs> to, 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 to be silly about it. I say that with love and respect and honor. Well, right. As someone who is within the veil. Right. We can always make a little bit more fun of ourselves. Yes. The... But the thing is, it was great. It was great in quarantine, and it was great for kids. And say, hey, let's start drawing thing, things and coloring things and, and building crafts. And this, and, and my disagreement with your point. But that's not necessarily my point. My personal perspective is not far from that. But that's not necessarily my full perspective. But my my disagreement with the statement is that you know we had we invited you know our our bubble together to join us for our karamu. And that included relatives, in-laws, people who had married in, who are not of African descent. Mm-hmm. And, and they were wonderful. And it was wonderful to celebrate with them. It was wonderful to be aligned with them and for Amen. them to be aligned with us. Amen. And so I actually would say that, you know, to, to be, to celebrate it, I would say that it was certainly appropriate for them to, to, to be in attendance. They're part of our family. Without, you know, going into semantics, are they actually celebrating? Are they going through the motions? Or are they simply being an ally and being present? I would say they're celebrating it. I mean, I think that they, if they are engaged in the activity and if they are there participating as opposed to spectating, 
if you're participating in it, you are celebrating it. And much in the same way that... It's a fine line, slippery slope. Not everybody will agree with that. I, to me, it was, it wouldn't have been the same without them being there. And it was a beautiful celebration and it was a beautiful evening mm-hmm. and we had a, a, a lot of fun and we're looking forward to doing it again. We're actually, as, at the start of the show, you asked me what I was doing and I'm getting ready. One of the things that we talk about is um, the um, mazao, the crops that you have on your, on your, on your table there. Uh, in front of you, in front of your your kinara, your your candelabra, there you have a, a representation of of the crops representing the first fruits. And one of the things that we're going to have, you know, one of our mazal crops that we're going to have right there in front is actually a pumpkin, which sounds kind of silly, but it's a pumpkin that my son grew in our raised beds, you know, during our whole time here. And, and the so, child shall feed them. <laughs> seriously, and so you can see it right here on the tech deck. We've got a. We'll, we'll put a picture of it up there. But it's it's, it's the pumpkin, the first thing, you know, because um, it's going to be kind of hard actually to one of the symbolic things you have uh, there. You hear the helicopter up there? See, we're talking about freedom. We're talking about the struggle. We're talking about Pan African consciousness. Here comes the bird. <laughs> so you have this this mat, this makeka that is a, a place where you put these other symbolic things, including I was saying earlier the kikombe cha emoja, the, the ceremonial cup. You have your kinara with the candles, and we've got Avery's pumpkin here on our uh, on that mat. But I mean, one of the symbols you also have is corn, corn on the cob, and it's that's a summer type thing. It's going to actually be kind of hard to, to get it. Uh, we'll see how well Instacart does when I order my corn on the cob, ideally in the husk. Had some sweet white corn just yesterday, <laughs> and so you know. But to me, I'm, I'm so I'm getting ready, and I'm, and I'm excited about it. And and Avery, even of his own accord, before he even said anything, he was saying he was looking forward. He's like, "Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a, a really you know Merry Christmas and a Happy Kwanzaa." That is awesome. And that and the fact that, is that awesome. he is going to have a memory, and, and my daughter are going to have a memory of growing up with this, and not in and not in an either-or kind of way, but in a yes-and kind of way. And so my whole point is that I think that as, as a people, you know, as a species, we should be welcoming to all. Uh, you know, when people come to visit me, and once you have your shot, once we're all vaccinated, you'll be invited back. Um, NK, you're first, but we'll we'll invite people back. All will be welcome at our table. Amen. Especially for for people who are sort of in the family, who are who are who are close to our heart, will be invited to the dinner table, or specifically the Kwanzaa dinner table. Both, okay. because for example, I've been to a number of. In fact, it's it's almost traditional for us to go to at least one Passover Seder. Amen. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that tradition and celebrating the the freedom from bondage, mm-hmm. I would put forth something controversial. I think that that every single black family should celebrate some version of Passover to celebrate freedom from bondage. And the well, commitment saying, saying Jewish does not necessarily mean that it's not black. Also, that's true. That's actually very true. Separate from Kwanzaa, I think there is an argument to be made for celebrating freedom from bondage. And and interestingly, if you attend a, a Passover Seder, they ha- they part of the ceremony, part of the, the whole celebration of it, is a commitment to stamp out oppression 
worldwide. Absolutely. And and it was one of those things. I'm getting goosebumps. It's one of those things that the very first time I celebrated. Did you celebrate or did you spectate? I, I was celebrating because I was reading from the Haggadah. I was one. I was passing things around. I actually brought a dish because you're you're not you're invited to participate and bring different things. And so I was celebrating it, Amen. and I was so I was honored to be invited. Amen. But I was thrilled to celebrate it because it was something I didn't know anything about and celebrating it. I mean, it really opened my eyes and was like, this is, this is fantastic. And everyone should know about this. And that's my point, dear listener, is that I'm not saying that I, as someone who's not of the Jewish faith, am going to host a Passover Seder. Um, I'm unlikely to do it unless I'm ready to convert or something. But if I'm invited, I'm going to go. That was the point that I was getting to. It's the invitation. Yes. Yes. And so if you're invited to a Koramu, go. If you're invited to celebrate Kwanzaa with a family, go. You'll find it to be a lovely and moving thing. It's very different from, especially the Koramu on New Year's Eve, it's very different from the drink-yourself-silly-champagne kind of dinner you might otherwise have, which, by the way, I've done and had a lot of fun drinking myself silly on champagne. I've actually never done that. I have. And I've had a great time on a boat even. But I mean, it, I've had a great time on New Year's Eve, you know, having that kind of fun. And, and, and yet, you know, the Karamu is, it's a wonderful tradition. And if you're invited to participate in it, I would say go. For you, dear listener, if you're part of the African uh, community uh, in the African diaspora, I would say if you have not celebrated Kwanzaa previously, I would say check it out. Uh, and, and, be less of a skeptic than I was initially. As someone who studied African-American history in college, the first time I heard about Kwanzaa, I fell in love with it immediately. I have found it to be really delightful and really a nice, meaningful way, thoughtful way to cap the year off. Say what again? Habarigani. <laughs> <laughs> And that doesn't mean that it's anti-Merry Christmas. Christmas is always a special time for us. In fact, you can even do Christmas twice. Most of the world celebrates Christmas December 25th, Ethiopian Christmas January, January 7th. 6th. Oh, 6th. Oh, I, thought I, think it's January, I think it's January 7th, I think. But it could be the 6th. Okay. I know. I think Orthodox Christmas is the 6th. But, uh, but yeah, you can, you can do it again and probably get better deals, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are Christmas shopping. You, you can do it afterwards. Um, but, you know, to you, dear listener, I would say, you know, check it out. Um, if you're invited, um, you know, consider going. And if you're, if you're part of the, um, the larger black community, consider checking it out. Consider incorporating it into your end of the year, your holiday season traditions. And we, we have, and, and, and we've loved it. And so... Amen. I just want to thank all of you for listening to the story uh, and us talking about Kwanzaa. We're, we're excited about celebrating that, and we're excited about having you on our journey. Next episode, we'll be talking in depth about one of the principles, Ujama, which is cooperative economics. And so stay tuned for that. And we're glad to have you here on Sky is Black. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is about Kujichagalia. Kujichagalia. Sky is Black. We are forward-facing conversations with and about uh, innovators, entrepreneurs, and pace setters, and, and people who are just pushing the envelope of African descent. And so we're so thankful to have you listening to us. Yeah, uh, 
Fuji Chagalia, self-determination. That's, That's part right. of what we're all about. So, Habarigani, um, happy Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, and we will see or hear you soon, or you hear us soon, on Sky is Black. Sky is Ujama. Ujama. Sky is Black.